It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are well. The summer break is finally coming to an end and I don't know about you guys but after having race after race after race after race this season I'm sure we could have all done with a nice break but now that we've had a break for a few weeks and all of the drama and the gossip and the F1 silly season transfer news whatever you want to call it doing the rounds I cannot wait see our favourite turbocharged V6 hybrid cars doing the rounds again this weekend. And no less, we're going to one of the gems of the F1 Canada. We're going to Spa, the Belgian Grand Prix, which I'm sure all of us that are on this episode of the podcast will have very fond memories as we've all actually been there. So something that's quite nice to have in common. But of course, if this is the first time that you have heard of us, we are the F1, independent F1 podcast, I should say, made by the fans and for the fans as we bring you race reviews, previews and all of the latest talking points, news and gossip in the world of Formula One. And we bring that to you for your listening and viewing pleasure. Now, joining me on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, my co-host, Courtney Pine, Joining me on the panel once again, Courtney, first of all, how have you been and are you looking forward to F1 returning after the summer break? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, can't complain. It's been, a, it's been a long summer, but yeah, I think hitting the nail on the head there, just looking forward to having the races uh, return again. But we have a triple header to start with, so we're certainly going to be busy. But can't complain because we've had a, we've had a bump of a... Of a slower work rate let's say so bring on a triple header yeah absolutely of course rightly pointing out the triple header coming up we're going to spa first then the week after that we're going to be heading to zandvoort uh, the home of the world champion max verstappen part of the double header of home races for him technically speaking with of course his connections to the belgian grand prix and the country itself and then of course we're going to be going to monza no less ferrari country hopefully for their sake they might be able to save the strategy blunders for another day and just have a clean, good race. But of course, we'll have to wait and see until that comes around. Joining us 
also on this episode of the podcast. We have the brilliant George Morgan coming along once again, friend of the show, friend of us. George, thanks so much for giving up your time to come on the show again. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you, Adam, and a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on uh, yet again for another podcast. Uh, obviously, it's great to have the summer break, but I'm eager. I'm an eager beaver to get straight back into it. Uh, obviously, I think it's about time we got motor racing again. So, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like all of us, you need to give your legendary commentary voice a little bit of a break during the summer break, but it's going to be great <laughs> to see that, of course, yourself on your own Twitch streams and stuff that you're going to be have coming up on your own channel. And of course, Formula Regional Qualifying and, uh, well, the GT Open as well. So it's going to be great to hear some more content from yourself. But in the meantime... We're going back to Spa, the small matter of the Belgian Grand Prix. And let's not forget this time last season, this was the venue of the crazy race that never really was, yet technically it was, and for some strange reason still was, despite everything that happened last season with the weather, the controversy regarding the ruling on what classed as a, as a, compl- as a complete race, which of course they've changed since then after only one or two laps. So as mad as that was... Can we say with conviction that we're not going to have a race like we had last season? Because we looked at the weather and there were some scares, as naturally as you would see on F1 Twitter. There's always going to be some scares. But do you reckon we're going to get anything like that this season? And more importantly, you've been to Spa a few times. So are they prepared for such eventualities? Well, uh, I mean, well, I, obviously, I would I'd imagine, given the fact that they have made the necessary changes to the circuit, that they are uh, definitely uh, prepared. I think, obviously, it was a freak storm that we had last time. Uh, it wasn't something that we would have necessarily expected. I actually have some fond memories of that race weekend because um, I, I was actually uh, doing my own uh, watch along commentary of the show of the actual uh, race weekend. I had uh, pro PGA golfer with me, um, Taylor Funk. Uh, commentating on the event alongside me. Uh, so we were there watching uh, pr- pretty much nothing happening uh, for the entirety of the period. But it was interesting talking to Taylor uh, nonetheless. And we got uh, down to, you know, some matters that are happening in, in golf uh, alongside what was going on in, in the world of Formula One. But um, I think the main story, the main talking point that weekend was George Russell uh, in the Williams, uh, of course, back then, an absolutely super job in qualifying, doing what he did. Unfathomable scenes, really, to see the Williams uh, qualifying the the way he did, but just go to show how good he is in the rain. Hopefully it'll stay dry uh, this weekend, though I think given the fact that we've had such uh, a, a, such a, an, a mega time, with, certainly here in Britain with a heat wave, uh, that it's about time the rain came down again, to be honest. So you never know, lightning could strike twice, literally. Yeah, I mean, I would say pardon the pun, but, uh, you know, you never really know these things with Formula One. And, and and Spa has a history for having, as Courtney has often said on the show, a bit of a microclimate compared to other regions in Europe where when there is hazardous weather, it always seems to find itself at Spa frag and shots. And Courtney, we're going to a circuit this weekend, which for some strange, crazy reason, despite all the logistical arguments and everything else that goes with its future, for some reason there is a chance that we may not have a Belgian Grand Prix on the calendar next season and perhaps for F1's short to medium term future. So how critical do you think it's going to be, first of all, that we just have a clean race, we have something exciting, something fun that we can all talk about rather than all of us moaning on our own podcasts or shows or whatever mediums that we all have about a race that never really happened? 
I think the thing with Spa, uh, barring last year, of course, Spa generally offers us exciting racing. And it is for me, it's one of the arguments that should be going for, you know, for keeping the circuit in future seasons. You know what? I'm all for, you know, the heritage argument. Absolutely. I feel that uh, Spa is one of the jewels in the crown of the um, F1 world. I believe it should stay. It's, it's, it's got the history but it offers so much as a racing venue, obviously overtaking opportunities, sometimes double overtaking opportunities, as we saw uh, famously with uh, Nick Hakkinen against uh, Michael Schumacher. Um, it's just after so many great moments. And again, the weather, the weather always seems to, you know, play its part. There are races, we've had races at Spa that have almost been like Mario Kart races. They are always chaotic. Well, nine times out of ten, they're chaotic. They always offer us something. And I think also, you get a good sense of the fan base as well. You know, there's always a, a big sort of Ferrari contingent at Spa. And then obviously, you know, you've got the Max Verstappen effect now as well. So you're going to have, you know, you've got a, a battle. Well, it's the, the battle's kind of fizzling away, but you've got a world championship battle between a Ferrari driver and Max Verstappen. The crowds are going to be fully, fully up for it this weekend. And Spa does, even the aesthetics of Spa, and the area around it, it's a great place for fans to visit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went there 20 years ago and I've, I'm sure it's had a massive facelift over those two decades since I last went there. But from what I remember, it was definitely one of the best circuits to visit. Um, you know, it was a great experience. There was so much to do there and it was a great race no, nonetheless. So it was a fantastic event for me. I have such great fond memories of it. And it's one of those races I just can't believe that not just for a fan's perspective, but from a driver's perspective as well. I can imagine it's crazy to think that we may not be going back there for some time after this weekend. George, obviously we had a little bit of a discussion about this before we went live and you shared some great memories. Of course, you visited Spa a few times this season with, with the work that you've got going on right now. In your mind, how big of a blow will it be if F1 decides to not continue to use Spa beyond 2022? I think it'll be a great shame and a big shock. I think for many, I mean, I appreciate obviously that Formula One has has, undergo, has undergone in many senses. I mean, like anything, it evolves. You know, that's the way, that's what sport does. We've seen it across the board. Doesn't matter what the sport is, there's always going to be money in sport and evolution in sport, you know, f hopefully for the, for the better, but sometimes it can be for the worst. And I, I, I can't help but feel that the idea of changing, taking Spa off the calendar is going to be a wrong move. And I, I'd imagine that we've got too many uh, impassioned Formula One fans that will turn around and say, look, we don't want this to happen. Spa must stay on the calendar. I personally think that it should. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Spa as a circuit. I've just come off the back of uh, a round with GT Open, Euro Formula, and obviously Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine. I was there for the 24-hour hour, hour of Spa weekend. Uh, where we got to see so many of uh, the the greatest drivers, uh, Valentino Rossi for one. Um, I, sh I shared a press room with him uh, literally um, on the on the I think it was the third day um, that I was there, and it just goes to show that the best drivers want to be there, the teams want to be there, the fans want to be there, and I'm sure that is exactly the same for the Formula One World Championship as well. And I, I think it would be one of the one of the saddest stories I think in in motorsport in in recent memory. Uh, if if that race was to go. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those sort of stories that I think for an F1 purist, and this is not me gatekeeping in any way, for some of our newer, younger fans that are probably listening to this thinking that, well, they're not really 
romanticizing about Spa in the same way that the three of us are right now and some other fans that have watched the sport for some time. But it's one of those circuits that really has... No circuit should ever have a cemented place on the calendar. I mean, I know we have a few, obviously, but no circuit obviously deserves to be on the calendar just by proxy of the fact that they're just such a great venue and it has its history. Of course, every venue that we go to has to earn its place. In your mind, guys, do you feel that if if the motivation from the spa circuit organisers, I should say, is if the motivation isn't fully there to have F1 races every single season in the same way that F1 would like to look at other venues in its place. Would you be prepared to accept a bicameral arrangement where Spa would be on the calendar every other year in contrast to trying to get it on every year or have it removed altogether? I don't know, really. Uh, I, I, do, I do believe that Spa is just one of the races that we should have every single season. It is one of the, you know... Again, as I said, it's not only the heritage side of it, it's what it offers as a circuit, you know, the, the, the corners, the events in the past that it is, you know, that, that has come along with it. You know, we're, we're looking at some of these newer circuits that are coming in, like primarily the street circuits. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not keen on street circuits, generally speaking. I, I think, you know, it's good to have sort of two or three a season just to offer a little bit of diversity throughout an F1 season. But We've had this trend of, you know, particularly street circuits coming in from, you know, richer countries and it's kind of monopolised the sport. Obviously, money talks, but you don't want to be losing the identity of the sport and, you know, the aspects of the sport that has made the majority of us fall in love with it. You know, we would have seen races that have been, I, I guarantee there have been many, many people that would have seen a race at Spa and it have been because of one of those races that they fell in love with the sport. They're not going to by watching races in Qatar, for example. And I, and I do believe that that is an issue that F1 is facing at the moment. Yeah, it does feel like F1 right now, that the motivation for what races in one of the Canada is very much to chase that revenue. And there's nothing wrong in that. But I feel like there has to be a limit where sometimes you don't necessarily always have to commit yourself to long-term contracts. I mean, I'll pick one out of the air right now, Bahrain. Well, they signed like a 15-year contract uh, last season to have the race there well into the 2030s. I can't remember the date that it expired. It might be 2036 or 2037, something like that. And, you know, as great as that is for the circuit, and Bahrain as a circuit has offered a lot to F1 in yeah. that regard. So this is quite a unique scenario. I'm not really picking this out for the sake of picking out one in the Middle East, for example. But the amount of money that would go into these sorts of contracts. Um, the race in Jeddah, obviously they signed a 10-year deal with F1. Something crazy like that. And you're thinking, well, considering what happened last season, or this season actually, how difficult that was all and all the events going on there, you think, why F1, in some people's minds, selling its soul just for the, just for the sake of uh, raising a little bit of extra cash for the company or to put out between the teams? It's fine to chase that revenue, but I do feel that there's a limit. And you know, in some regards, maybe F1 is selling its soul in that regard. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, George? Because you shared some good points with us on this um, before we went live. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, Spa, uh, you know, in itself is Formula One uh, in many ways. I mean, the sport was born and bred in the 1950s. Spa has been a racetrack since the early 90, 1900s. I think if you dispose of Spa in that sense, then... Essentially, you are stamping all over the heritage of the of the circuit, it's the very circuit itself. It has got, undergone so many drastic changes due to uh, its 
you know, its involvement in Formula One, um, mainly around the whole safety aspect, you know, like any circuit would. But it is it's become so, so synonymous with the sport that it would be a crime to remove it off the calendar. And Courtney, Courtney raised a brilliant point too. The fact that many new fans would have been introduced to the sport through the fact that Spa was on the calendar. They would have caught a race at Spa. You know, I can remember races at Spa back since the late 90s, which, you know, hold greater in my memory than many other the, of the tracks that we've been through over the years. Like I, I automatically think back to 98, uh, where, of course, we had the, the big, the big rainstorm and the again another <laughs> rainstorm at Spa, but yeah, you know it's. I just can't imagine an F1 calendar without the circuit on there. I just cannot fathom it because, and and it does beg the question. You know, is it becoming monopolised? Is it thinking about the you know the pound signs as opposed to the you know the the, the fans themselves who who've obviously fallen in love with this, with this sport off the back of Spa being on the calendar? I I true I. I think so, personally. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting quote that came from Lando Norris from Autosport.com as part of their debrief series. And he basically was ruining the possible loss of Spa, quoting, saying that things these days are just about money. And I can't really argue against that. I mean, look, I'm I'm not against the idea of trying to, not necessarily monopolise, but capitalise, if, if there's a better way of putting it, on F1's newfound success and new races that obviously want to be a part of the calendar. And like Spa would have been many, many years ago, looking to establish their own legacy and history in Formula One or motorsport in general. And, you know, F1 in their own minds, they probably feel like they're trying to achieve both in that regard, you know, give opportunities to newer places and earn a bit of money whilst they're at it. But there is a limit. And I think there are some venues that whilst no circuit, as I've already mentioned, deserves to have a space thereby right every single season without actually delivering something in return, I think you can make a case for certain venues like Spa, for example. Monaco is a bit 50-50, depending on what you feel about it. Silverstone, Monza, for example. Probably just those venues, perhaps. You could argue a case for Interlagos and Suzuka to a degree as well, but... You know, that, that's always dependent on what's going on in those countries right now. Of course, more Brazil than Suzuka, I suppose. But um, I think you guys listening will understand what I'm talking about here. And you need to kind of retain that in Formula One. And once that goes, what goes next? I don't believe for a second Liberty Media trying to turn F1 into like IndyCar, where most of the races are on street circuits and you have the odd oval race and stuff like that. I don't think that's what's happening at all. But there is a legacy you need to protect. And sometimes... Yes, you do have to make tough decisions in order to, you know, for the benefit of the sport. I think in this case, I, I'm, I'd am i be very disappointed to see Spa gone. And I feel like, as you've already mentioned, guys, it's probably just about money. But look, let me know what you guys think in the comments section. We do need to move on with the next part of this episode. So let us know what you think in the comments if you are watching on YouTube. If you're not watching this on YouTube, of course, and you're listening to your favorite podcast and platform, of course, whilst I would uh, implore you to leave us a review because that really helps us out a lot, please head over to YouTube, of course, on DNF1's YouTube channel, and let you let us know what you think in the comments. You know, be part of the conversation. We'd absolutely love to have you guys on board and let us know what you think. Moving on to the next part. Now, following from the summer break, we had a lot of driver transfer stories, a lot of stuff doing the rounds. 
George, I want to get your thoughts on the big transfer story that went on this summer. Fernando Alonso moving to Aston Martin to replace Sebastian Vettel in 2023, leaving the seat at Alpine, which was a huge shock to everyone, and then eventually brought on that domino effect that led to the Oscar Piastri saga between McLaren and Alpine. Before we get into that second part, I want to know your thoughts about Alonso to Aston Martin. First of all, are you shocked to hear that news at the time? And also, do you think it's the right call for Fernando to take that gamble with Aston Martin? Totally left field. <laughs> this actual uh, transfer, no one saw this coming. Uh, I mean, we've been debating. I think when I was on your show previously, I prophesied that Piastri would get a seat. You uh, did, I, think, I remember. Back then, uh, and we, we raised this point before, but... This was this wasn't what I expected whatsoever. I mean, we obviously the, the discussions that we were having were around who would move to Aston. We raised Daniel Ricciardo's name. Uh, we raised uh, well many others. I think Pierre Gasly, I think, was mentioned as well uh, as as many others. But um, don't think anyone ever predicted that Fernando Alonso would be the one to make the move. I, I actually thought that Fernando Alonso would finish his career at Alpine. I, I honestly thought right. that was how it was going to play out for him. I thought this was him returning home, returning back to the to the Renault um, sort of column, should we say, uh, and finish his career at the, at the place where he made his name, uh, winning, obviously, the World Championship. But uh, to, for him to go to Aston Martin was an absolute shocker. Um, I don't think many people were surprised that Sebastian Vettel retired. I think that was something that was, I think if you could see Seb's mannerism, I think this year, certainly his movements around climate change and, and helping the environment and uh, just, just looking to make uh, the world a greener place. I, I think we sort of felt that maybe his time, his, his, his days were numbered in the sport. Uh, but, you know, to be honest with you, Fernando Alonso was one of the elite, one of the last drivers I would have expected to make that move to Aston Martin. It seems certainly strange from the concept that Aston Martin haven't been overly strong this year, and I definitely would have placed Alpine higher up the order than where Aston Martin have been lately. So, a puzzling one, I think, certainly to say the least. Yes, yeah, significantly higher. I don't think there's a case to be made on pure performance from this season alone that moving from Alpine, the team that is very much established as the fourth best car on the grid right now, the best of the rest, um, fighting that battle with McLaren, there's no argument to, to be established there that making that move from there to the second slowest on the grid at the moment in Aston Martin as a sensible idea for a driver that wants imminent success now because despite the fact that he's defying all aging laws whatsoever as an incredible athlete as he is he's in his 40s now he has not got many years left to offer in formula one as incredible as his pace has been and it must be said that must be a a real hallmark of his return in this in a different way to what we had with uh, Michael Schumacher for example um, just to draw one out there and even Kimi Raikkonen to some degree as well although that was probably a little bit more impressive um, in its earlier years but that all said we're in a scenario now where, it, in my mind, I actually don't think it's a bad idea. Um, because I, I remember saying on the show a few weeks ago when we heard the news that Aston Martin are obviously on this upwards trajectory. They're a team that is investing a lot of money into their new facilities. They obviously did a nice little time-lapse video of their factory taking shape and obviously all the upgraded equipment that's going to come with that. It's a good team that is making steady progress this season, although they probably were a bit behind because they had to kind of abandon their previous concept and in a way copy what Red Bull were doing. Although, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use that too harsh on them because I think, you know, that'd be implying something that's probably not there. But 
all of that said, it's a team that is really looking like it has ambitions to be on the up. However, I'm not sure if it's going to meet Alonso's ambitions in the time that it that Alonso probably has to offer in F1. So it's a bit of a hard one to call. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that one, George? If you were Fernando Alonso's position and you were offered that based on what we know regarding Alpine and Aston Martin, would you have made that call? Well, I mean, they must have presented something of serious interest to him, I think, to make that decision. Because I cannot believe for one minute that Fernando would just on a whim decide to up and leave for Aston Martin or he from Alpine. There had to be something going on over there that that tempted uh, El Plan to to fashion this plan together, I think, at this point. Uh, because, you know, we've seen, you know, Aston Martin over the last couple of seasons since obviously they, they took on the, the Force India uh, team. You know, Lawrence Stroll has come out and made it perfectly clear that he has grand ambitions for for Aston Martin um uh, that they they've pulled off um two very dazzling uh, car releases uh, at the start of the last couple of seasons i th- certainly thought it was a very exuberant one last uh, certainly at the start of this season um they're certainly a team that are that are gunning um for for the top places and they and they certainly see themselves certainly as Aston Martin to be a high performance car brand and manufacturer so I, I i'd fully imagine that aston martin would want to back, want to back them all the way as well in order to make that happen because obviously as we all know it can influence car sales as much as it does uh stuff on the track so without a doubt i'd imagine that fernando alonso would have had something very tempting presented to him and certainly given the work that has been put in place maybe it's not as strange decision as we're making it out to be maybe it is the case that it is a sensible choice on Fernando's part. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of be clear on where I stand on this, uh, in addition to what you've been saying, George, I'm of the opinion that if you're Fernando Alonso, was he 41 now, and you would argue that the contract that he was offered by Aston Martin, which we believe to be a two plus one deal, which has no clauses or anything that he has to meet to activate that third year. It's basically his decision if he wants to stay for a third season. Whereas Alpine were offering him the one plus one with the provision that he had to make sure he met performance clauses in that additional year to make sure that he got the optional one afterwards. So that alone, obviously Alonso wants to protect the longevity of his career in F1 because he wants to try and see how things go. That's fair enough. But if you're in the Alpine right now, Yes, they are the fourth best car. They've done a great job, despite the setbacks that they had in the upper echelons of their management structure, to produce a good car that right now is better than anything that isn't a Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull. To be fair, that's not exactly a different position where they may have expected to find themselves in before the new regs came in. So you can kind of take that for what you want. So moving forward, you kind of make that decision is Alonso wants to win races. He wants to win world championships. Does he feel? Does he believe that that's going to happen, Alpine? I don't think he does. Aston Martin, on the other hand, yes, right now that seems less likely, but there's always that possibility that something could happen. Maybe it's in two or three years' time. Maybe you want to stay on a little bit longer and defy all anything that we know about aging, really, when it comes to professional. Look at athletes. Mercedes. Exactly. You you just mm. you just never know, um, mm. and it could possibly happen. So I feel like. For him, with that time frame in mind, that's probably enough for him to convince him. Money aside as well, because obviously money is a big factor too here. But that aside, I, I do think that that could be a factor in this. Courtney, um, obviously I've been going on a lot about this already. What, what are your thoughts on this one? 
I think the main concern I've I raised, and I raised when we first um, discussed it on a previous podcast, is the the Lance and Lawrence Stroll dynamic. Now, Fernando Alonso has a colourful history when it comes to fallouts with teams, and you know his bad timing of leaving teams when something good is actually developing. And I just get the feeling that. If there's the, the sort of the, the slightest sense of nepotism or preferential treatment for Lance Stroll, that Fernando Alonso will kick off and cause a bad atmosphere in the team. That is my main concern. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that would be obviously be, you know, the the, the eyebrow raising aspect of the move. Let's say. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And um, But guys, again, lo- let us know your thoughts in the comments on this one. I mean, he creates an awkward position now with Alpine and McLaren over the Oscar Piastri news and obviously what went down there. George, obviously, as you rightly pointed out, you made a very, very interesting prediction at the time, which is for some reason, looks like it might come true, with Oscar Piastri potentially going to McLaren. Now, given the struggle and the tug of war for Piastri services next season, I'm just going to put the question to both of you on this one before we move on completely. How do you see this one ending? Is Piastri going to go to McLaren? Is he going to be forced to drive with Alpine? Or, interesting switch, he may have no seat in 2023 at all. I, I can't see him without a seat. I, he's he's going to have a seat. And, and I, I honestly believe that, um, I mean, we've seen a lot of activity on, on behalf of the McLaren PR team, obviously Zach Brown as well. Uh, there's been a lot of rumours and and um, stuff going on between him and Daniel Ricciardo up to now. Uh, I know that um, Ricciardo recently did do an interview, I believe, with uh, the motorsport um, motorsport.com uh, in reference to Sergio Perez and his dramatic turnaround uh, in obviously what he's done at Red Bull. And uh, I think Daniel Ricciardo sees himself doing um, something similar to what Sergio Perez did in terms of just a, a U-turn in his in his career and his form, um, I'll be honest. I think I think Perez, I think he, I, I think he certainly did turn his career around, and and definitely Daniel Ricciardo has that potential to do just that. He's still a relatively young guy in the in the in the context of of Formula One drivers, and uh, it it would be a shame to see him without a seat. But if I'm honest, I I get the vibe from McLaren that they're very much a forward thinking team. I think they look ahead to the future. They see a future with Lando Norris. I don't think Daniel Ricciardo has ever been in a position where he's been considered a first driver, in which case I would say that Oscar Piastri is a very sensible signing for McLaren off the basis that he would fit that sort of secondary role, you know, as a driver that's part of the development side of things, uh, you know, for, for McLaren. So, you know, they've still got their talisman in Lando Norris, but on the other hand, they got a very bright future star of Oscar Piastri as well, who is, of course, already a world champion in the feeder series. So for me, I can see um, McLaren going in that direction. That would, of course, mean that Ricardo potentially leaves without a seat. Yeah, very, very true. And Courtney, what are your thoughts on this one? Alpine, McLaren for Piastri or nothing at all? Uh, I'm going to stick my, with my original prediction. I think it would be Piastri to McLaren. And Ricardo will go back to Alpine. I think with with Ricardo's form at McLaren, it's it's strange because you know during his time at Red Bull, the majority of the time did a great job for the team. 
you know, did a fantastic job for, um, obviously back then they were called Renault, did a fantastic job getting podiums in, in you know, in cars that sometimes they had no right to get podiums with. And it's just from the, you know, he had a high stock in the world of F1 and all of a sudden he went to McLaren. You know, I, I at the time when he moved, I was like, yes, this is actually the perfect move for Daniel. And for whatever reason, he's, his confidence has just taken a whack. I don't know whether it's the... the the core concept to this car and its drivability that just doesn't suit Daniel's driving style. I I don't know. Only the people at McLaren know that. So it'd be intriguing to see if Daniel does go back to Alpine. It'd be interesting to see if his form picks up again because it, it, it could be a question of whether is the issue Ricardo or is the McLaren just so much more suited to Lando Norris or at the same time, is Lando Norris just doing an exceptional job with a car that's difficult to drive. I, I I think he's in a very awkward situation, an awful situation. If you've got to look at it on, da- on Daniel's part, he has not been, since Red Bull, I mean, he wasn't then either, he hasn't been in a position where he has been a team leader. Mm-hmm. Never has. Uh, never had a car built for him. Never. And he, and he won't at this state because the problem is you've got Alpine who are, who are very much running with Esteban Ocon. As as the as the team leader, as such, he's taken that role. Of course, uh, I think you know you've got Alpine running him and Fernando on an equal keel at the moment, as you would expect. I can't see Daniel Ricciardo having that same deal when he gets there. I still think that Esteban Ocon will be their their driver, as such. Uh, I also think if he was to stay at McLaren, Lando Norris would obviously still remain as the head honcho over there, and it would have been the same if he went to Aston Martin because. You know, obviously, Lance Stroll is is the golden boy. He's the diamond kid. There is going to be no. The, every team has got the talisman. Unfortunately, Daniel Ricciardo doesn't necessarily have a situation where he can be a team leader. It's impossible. He's in such mm-hmm. an awkward situation, uh, and he, that he finds himself in. He left Red Bull on the basis that he wanted to take a team and be its number one. But since then. He has been. He has. He's played second fiddle, and and it's really hard to get out of that cycle. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, just to add an extra caveat into the mix, of course, we heard the news that Antonio Giovinazzi is going to get a bit of a run in the Huss team at the Italian and US Grand Prix during the FP1 sessions. Now, for those of you that don't know, every, well, this season, all of the teams have been mandated to run a rookie driver during FP1 for two of those sessions throughout the entire season. Now, Antonio Giovinazzi technically is not a rookie. And therefore, the fact that Haas are running him in those two sessions will not play any bearing 
on them fulfilling that uh, that particular regulation. So they're still going to have to run a rookie in those two sessions uh, at some point for the rest of the season, which does raise the question, will Antonio Giovinazzi end up on the calendar, on, on the grid for 2023 with Haas? Now, there's a bit of a contract situation going on with Mick Schumacher, who occupies one of those two seats, and his contract runs out to the end of the season. He's also a driver that has been linked with the vacancy at Alpine for 2023. Now, of course, that could very much depend on what happens with the piastri Ricardo situation. And Mick Schumacher himself did follow Lauren Rossi on Instagram, which, of course, as you would expect, would raise a few eyebrows. It probably has nothing to do with what is going on. And maybe Mick Schumacher is just having a bit of fun with social media, as he's got every right to, of course. So what a story, though. I mean, just going yeah. back on. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it, it it almost goes back to when his father joined the the F one uh, when he was part of Formula One, because obviously he had his start with Jordan, but eventually did sign to Benetton, which obviously is the is the team that that leads up to Alpine, pretty much. So it's quite a story if you think about it. It's almost like history repeating itself in some way, um, but still, uh, you know, a cracking opportunity for him. Uh, should he? Should he grab it by the horns? And of course, he's only recently just started to pick up his form a little bit in Haas. And, and it's one of those sayings, you know, you can't run before you can walk. And his development was stunted last season, owing to the fact that the car was terrible. And there was only so much that he could do other than just beat Nikita Mazepin, which of course he did. This season, he's been up against a much more competitive, established driver in Kevin Magnus. And it's only took until now when he's not been crashing in positions and getting the most out of the car where he actually is competitive to his teammate. And there's only such a small pool of data that you can really collate from that, really. So even though this is a great opportunity for Mick Schumacher, I'm just wondering if this is a step too far too soon. But it could end up being a situation where if he doesn't take it, he's not really got anything to fall back on in Haas. It's one of those moves right now that feels like, obviously, he's going to take. he should take it if it's presented to him. But it's more one that could save his F1 career rather than be the next step in his development. It could serve for both. Um, Courtney, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is quite an interesting play from Haas. And knowing what we know, Ferrari, who obviously the team that sort of look after Mick Schumacher as part of their FDA program, they don't really have any say on this second seat from what reports are suggesting. So this could purely be a Haas decision altogether. Yeah, I think it'd be a good move for... um... For Mick, I, I think any driver going to into F1, they'll go, right, I'll start off at a team like Haas and then sort of work my way up. But it's a difficult one with Mick because, like, in a way, he should be grateful to have an F1 seat altogether because, as you said, up until recently, he was getting outperformed by Kevin Magnussen, who only returned to the, the sport abruptly at the beginning of the season. So, on one hand, you're thinking, does Mick have more to... You know, to prove before he takes that step up. But surely, from his perspective, you know, they the the higher up the grid you go, the the sort of the the more opportunities you have to showcase your talent. So I'm sure he'll be he'll be up for it. But I agree with the the point you're making, Adam. Where I think I think a move to um, Alpine could potentially save his career because right now I feel if he is to stay at Haas, I can see his F1 career fizzling out. Yeah, and I think for Mick Schumacher's F1 career, you know, take everything away from what he has obviously makes him quite a marquee acquisition. Obviously, the name is a big part of that. And for Alpine, what it represents, as as you pointed out, George, it's a nice little 
homage, if you like, to the fact that his father drove for that team 30 years ago and obviously made himself a household name in Formula One, winning two world championships and the rest is history after that. And it's a nice story, but it's one of those that I feel that for Mick Schumacher right now, it, you just don't really know where it could go. He could end up at Alpine. He could stay at Haas. He may not have a seat altogether. It's a very, very odd situation right now. One that I did not expect to be happening when he, uh, well, last season, obviously the way things went down, I thought he was going to stay at Haas for a little while and see how that goes. But um, here we are. We probably should move on to the actual Belgian Grand Prix preview because we've talked for about half an hour now. We haven't actually said a word about this weekend's race. So we might as well crack on with that while we're here. And as it stands, after the summer break, Max Verstappen, the world champion, very much in prime position to successfully defend his title. Perhaps already has one hand on the Drivers' Championship trophy with an 80-point lead over Charles Leclerc, who for whatever reason, whether it's owing to his own mistakes, strategy blunders from the team, reliability issues from the Ferrari, it's just gone from, well, it's just just gotten worse and worse, really, from the early parts of the season. So with that all in mind, a reset surely has to be in place for the team from Maranello. Now, Going into this weekend as well, we shouldn't forget the emergence of Mercedes. They've really put themselves right back into the mix of things and this showed a really strong performance from themselves at the Hungarian Grand Prix, getting a double podium. Let's not forget the potential, well, implications of this new TD ruling that's going to be live from the Belgian Grand Prix, how that could mix things up with this new flexi floor clamp down, how that could affect the pecking order. Guys, I guess what I'm going to ask you guys to debate on is, Who's going to win this race this weekend and where is it going to be won and lost? Well, uh, I mean, Max Verstappen, uh, despite obviously leading the championship, we did hear uh, word that he has been very vocal on the fact that he's still not happy uh, with how the car is performing at the moment. Um, he's still been um, relentlessly um, scrutinising the, the build of the, of the new Red Bull uh, to his engineering team, which says a lot about the man who is currently leading the world championship. He is never satisfied um, with his situation. I, and I think that is the mindset of a champion. Personally speaking, I'd go into that weekend with Max Verstappen being the firm favourite, I would say, for the weekend. Ferrari have gone off the boil a little bit, albeit I can I can certainly see Charles Leclerc um, still very much in the mix. Carlos Sainz not having the same sort of season he had last year, um, certainly where it comes to driving for Ferrari. But, you know, looking ahead, great opportunity for Mercedes as well to get some serious points. Uh, George Russell consistently getting in the top fives uh, on a regular basis has shown that he is truly capable of holding on to that seat at Mercedes. Uh, but you've got to give Lewis Hamilton credit too. He is also fighting back. Mercedes themselves did state uh, not too long ago that um, as time drew into the season, more and more new upgrades were going to be presented, um, certainly to the field. So, you know, I would, you'd be ridiculous to count out Mercedes, I think, this weekend. I think they would come into this weekend with this race in mind, this season with this race in mind. They would have set goals in order to release new parts, certainly for the car uh, leading into the Spa weekend. So I'd personally put them as as potential outsiders to to take the race win as well. Yeah, and 
Courtney, on the subject of Mercedes, of course, the morale is going to be riding very, very high right now. The momentum has been very, very good. The team have gone from strength to strength. In the mid-season review, I was saying that they've been incredibly efficient. They've optimised every opportunity that they've had. The only thing missing right now is a Grand Prix victory. And it almost feels like it's so, so close. Just one last thing needs to happen for them to make that reality. We're going into this race with everything that we've mentioned already, Corny. Do you think Mercedes right now believe that they can definitely win this Grand Prix on merit? And and if so, should their mindset be targeting Ferrari and second in the Constructors' Championship? Yeah, I, I think going into every race weekend, given the circumstances that have gone on, you always got to put Max Verstappen as, as a firm favourite. Um, but I do feel there is momentum building at Mercedes. I think that there are three things that sort of go in Mercedes' favour. I think, first of all, you know, as George have already stated, you know, the upgrades, they've been, they've been catching up, be it slowly. They're getting closer and closer, it seems, race by race. That's the first thing. The second thing is the fact that a circuit like Spa generally suits the concept of, you know, pretty much every Mercedes car we've seen in the turbo hybrid era. You know, the high-speed circuits, they do tend to suit the, uh, the Mercedes. And then... I think it's also the driver pairing as well that just makes Mercedes so strong or such a strong prospect because if you have a look at, you know, Red Bull and and Ferrari, if Max Verstappen or Charles Leclerc were to have a bad race, yes, uh, Perez or uh, Sainz are shown glimpses of how good they can perform. You can say for certain that if we go into Spa, say Mercedes have the fastest car, you could probably say for certain that if Lewis Hamilton has a weak week, um, a weak weekend, let's say, where he's not at his best, you could be pretty sure that George Russell will be there. So I just feel that things are, are sort of, you know, it's been a little bit of a rebuilding process for Mercedes. It's a bit, it's a bit ironic saying it, given how many championships they've won recently. But they started off on the back foot. They've been on a rebuild, but they've always had the sort of the facilities and the and the pieces in place to still be a race winning team. Now, we, we discussed it earlier on in the season that Mercedes are actually operating still much more better as a team compared to Ferrari. They just haven't had the raw pace. So if you bring the raw pace into the equation, then Ferrari should definitely be more worried about Mercedes chasing them, more, more, more so than trying to catch Red Bull at the very front. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And uh, we shouldn't forget, of course, George Russell last season had a great... Well, great qualifying performance, of course. We never got to see him do anything in the race, but I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have minded at that time. Of course, it was a big weekend for him. It was the weekend where he got his first podium. Also was told by Toto Wolff that uh, he was going to be joining Mercedes next season. If anyone watched Drive to Survive last season, it was a big weekend for him. So coming into this season, of course, much more pressure, much more expectation. So far, George has managed that rather well. Could we see him find himself on the podium this weekend once again? And this time, of course, by proxy of driving in the actual race rather than relying on brilliance in qualifying. 
Very possible. Uh, I mean, like um, looking looking at the pace of that Mercedes, it definitely has come back. Obviously, uh, Russell getting the pole position at Hungary, I think, uh, could be the catalyst. I think that's the confidence boost that he would need. I think to sort of state, you know, yes, we have got the pace. We have got the pace to compete. Uh, you had Lewis Hamilton picking up his second fastest lap of the season as well uh, last time out at uh, Hungary too. So, you know, there's there's huge opportunities here for Mercedes if they can harness this and if the momentum is with them heading into the Spa weekend. Uh, obviously, like you alluded to, and uh, I alluded to earlier, George Russell picking up uh, certainly a very, very good qualifying result in the Williams, no less, last season. Uh, I think that, again, you'll have fond memories of Spa, uh, obviously, given his achievements there in the past. Um, but yeah, I, th- I certainly think, given the fact that Mercedes are where they are, I think they will have a huge, huge chance uh, this weekend at Belgium. So definitely one that they can look forward to at Brackley, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And if we can sort of bring it back a little bit towards Red Bull, if I may, we touched briefly on Max Verstappen looking supremely confident. Of course, George, as you rightly pointed out, there are going to be some issues that still need to be addressed. The weight of the car certainly being one of them. Red Bull talked a lot about focusing on producing a lighter monocoque and also using some lighter parts on their car uh, for the chassis to bring that down. Of course, that's going to be subject to some FIA crash test if they go about that. I think they're about eight kilos overweight from the 798 kilogram limit. So... With all that said, and obviously the issues with the front end that I think Max has also been complaining about, we do need to turn our attention to Sergio Perez because Sergio Perez in the last couple of weeks has kind of been off the boil with all due respect to him. And I know people say as Red Bull develop this car more and more and more, it's going to move away from Sergio Perez's strengths and more towards Max Verstappen's, which is absolutely fine. I completely understand that. I think you have to back your best horse in this way. And Max Verstappen drives a specifically strange car uh, compared to some other drivers i don't think there's any other driver on the grid right now that could sort of drive the same car setup wise than max um it's just how unique he is with his driving style so for sergio perez right now he's kind of in a unique position where he's done a lot already in the first half of the season he's got a lot to fall back on he got that new contract which is going to keep him in the team for a little while and the second half of the season right now out of the top six he's the he's the fall guy right now so if you're Perez, what is your mindset coming into this second half of the season? Do you just sort of reset, celebrate what you've been doing and just crack on with the second half of the season? Or is there a risk right now where some of these struggles that he has hap- has been dealing with are going to be shown for everyone to see a little bit more and perhaps magnified a little bit? Um, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Well, I, I think, you know, definitely I think it's, it's a problem. Uh, I, I think... Um, Perez himself, uh, you know, d- d- you know, despite his talents, uh, I think obviously it's been the same old story with the Red Bull car. I think in many deg- in in many ways, I think um, you know we 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 went through obviously the, the the history with Gasly being in the car, Alex Albon as well. Uh, they've always teed themselves up to support Max in in many ways, um, but even Max isn't isn't necessarily happy with the car. It's, speaks volumes of how great Max Verstappen is driving a race car. But um, uh, obviously we know that uh, he is perhaps um, quite a bit ahead of, of Perez, certainly in terms of pace. But yeah, I mean, he he certainly needs to pick his game up because we know that uh, Red Bull have a very, um, a very low tolerance when it comes to driver performances and certainly second driver performances, certainly the way we saw uh, the careers of Gasly and, and Albon uh, take a bit of a U-turn um, after their stints in the team. 
Um, you never know. Maybe we'll see Daniel Ricciardo back at Red Bull for all we know. <laughs> I've seen Stranger Things. That would be a story in half, wouldn't it? I mean, Corny, um, to sort of summarise that long question that I just gave to George, um, Perez's form, is that something that uh, Red Bull should be concerned about right now for the second half of the season? I think the interesting thing, actually, if you have a look at the, uh, going back to the Mercedes point, the, the resurgence of Mercedes, let's say, is that they have been beating Sergio Perez. So on one side, you're thinking, okay, Mercedes are beating a Red Bull in a couple of the races. But at the same time, you're thinking, is that because of how much Sergio Perez is struggling? Or is that just because of how exceptionally good Max Verstappen is? The way that I was talking about Ricardo and Lando Norris, it does seem that the gap between the two drivers has widened as more and more as the season has gone on. So, but the fact that the Mercedes are starting to beat Sergio Perez doesn't look good for Red Bull as a team because, you know, at the beginning of the season, they didn't have to worry about Mercedes. Both drivers would have finished ahead and got those extra points. Now you've got a situation where if Sergio Perez isn't on the top of his game, he's not just going to be losing to his teammate. He's also going to be losing to the Ferraris and the Mercedes. Yeah, very much so. Um, let's move on to Ferrari, if we can, uh, just for a bit. Now, obviously, we touched on them all already in, in the sense that, you know, they've had so many strategy mistakes, reliability concerns this season, and obviously some driver errors to go with that, which has really kind of made what has been otherwise a brilliant car with a very powerful engine look very, very mediocre in a situation where they should be at the very least fighting for both championships, if not leading both championships, by contrast to what Red Bull have done this season. So all of the pressure has been put on Ferrari to try and put things right in the second half of the season. At the very least, put themselves in a position where they can kind of shake off what happened in the uh, first half of the season and go again in 2023. Obviously, there's been pressure put on Matteo Bonotto. There's been pressure put on the Ferrari team personnel. Where are your heads at with this one, guys? Should Ferrari just shake all of that off and just press the reset button and go again? Or do you feel that perhaps some change is required in the short term in order to try and preserve Ferrari's position in second in the Constructors' Championship and then try and go on that charge again next season and go one better? Well, I mean, I would say Charles Leclerc is, is probably feeling exactly how Sebastian Vettel felt all those years ago when he was touted as, as being a firm favourite for the for the Drivers' Championship with Ferrari. Uh, of course, not able uh, to secure that, but it, it does seem a huge area of concern um, with Ferrari. And, and obviously, again, you're absolutely right. I mean, do, you know, is it the case now that this championship is out of their hands? But you know, not only that, they can't rest on their laurels because Mercedes are now starting to come into the into form. So th- this is a very, very important time for Ferrari. This is this is where we need to t- where they need to turn around and sort of say, look, hey, we need to do something about this. We need to turn this around asap uh, because we are getting to a very sensitive point of the season, uh, very very near towards the tail end of the season, in fact. And you know, th- these vital points. This this is where the championship can make such a huge turn as well. Um, you know, you've, you're seeing it from Mercedes now, who seem to have come back into the fight now at just the right time. Uh, obviously, I think Spa could answer a lot of questions, certainly as to how the cars are positioned in terms of performance against each other. Uh, but yeah, Ferrari have got a huge problem there that they need to address. Uh, reliability certainly has been the key. I think, to their success and failure, I think, over the course of this season. 
Yeah, and I think the reliability is something that's been very understated this season, particularly for the teams that have done rather well. One of them being Mercedes. I can't remember the last time they had a reliability issue this season. I don't even think they've had one, to be honest, unless there is one. Please do let me know, but I can't remember if there has been one for them during a race or qualifying. But uh, Courtney, of course... You know, we paint the picture for Ferrari for 2022. They had high ambitions where they wanted to compete for championships and in some cases win a championship. And you can argue that Ferrari, at least the first part, uh, were doing that. But if you were at Ferrari without context and someone said to you that you were going to be ahead of Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship and just behind Red Bull and he finished the season just ahead of Mercedes, then they'd probably consider that a successful season. But given the context of how this season has played out, Surely, if Mercedes beat Ferrari with what we still believe to be an inferior car at this point, obviously we don't know how the new technical directive is going to change that or not, but at this point Ferrari do have the advantage. If Mercedes beat them, based on what we've seen so far this season, surely questions are going to be asked at Ferrari over the senior management in the team right now. Yeah, I I think the pressure will be building from not only within the team, but actually from their fan base overall. Because, you know, back over the last couple of seasons, you know, Ferrari were, were completely in the mud. But the the sort of the strategy from the management I thought at the time was absolutely spot on because there's always an expectation that every season Ferrari gonna come back, Ferrari gonna come back. And they made some changes in the management and they went for the long term strategy. They said to the fans, look, we're gonna struggle over the next couple of seasons. So this should have been around yeah, twenty twenty. I said, look, we're going to struggle for the next couple of seasons, but we've got a long-term strategy. We're going to bounce back in um, 2022. They did. They started off at the front. The fan, the fan base are probably thinking, right, we've got a championship-winning car here again. We're going to be back at the top where we feel we deserve to be. But if they find themselves, you know, falling behind the Mercedes team, where you know, where you know, the way they faltered was so so highlighted beginning of the season, and they come along and leapfrog Ferrari, who were seen as the star team at the beginning, then all that pressure that we've seen in the past is going to start building on Ferrari again. But the problems that Ferrari have are truly, truly intrinsic. And I think Ferrari need to learn from their past errors and not make the sort of like the rash decision, the chop, the chop, the chopping block nature that we're seeing exist over Ferrari. They've actually got rid of some good personnel in the past without giving it much fault. And they have suffered long term for it. So I do feel some difficult times are coming for Ferrari, but I do feel that they need to finish ahead of Mercedes to save some face. If they have a strong second half of the season and they get relatively close to Red Bull and Max Verstappen, that's still a, a relatively good look. But if they continue to falter and fall behind Mercedes, then I feel the trouble will start building again. Well, I'm going to put a quick fire question to you both before we move on to the next part of this episode. And regarding Matteo Bonotto's situation, obviously there was a lot of news stories, a lot of quotes coming out this summer over his future at Ferrari and obviously if he was feeling the pressure. The question I want to ask you both, and feel free to join in in the comments section as well. I want to know what you guys think of this one as well. But hypothetically, if Ferrari finish P3 in the constructors and Mercedes overhaul them, should Ferrari sack Mattia Bonotto? I don't think they should, but I think they will. What about you, George? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, I think it'd be determined as a failure, 100% of a season. Uh, I think what strikes me as a big concern is that Charles Leclerc has been put on pole position five times and has not taken a race win. 
mm. uh, in in on those five occasions. He's only done it twice. Has gone from pole to win. So speaks volumes as to reliab- mm-hmm. the reliability, the race reliability of that car. Very much so. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you on that one. I think Ferrari in that position right now where. I don't think they should get rid of Matti Bonotto. I think he's done a lot for the team, moving them forward. And he was very very much put in a difficult position, you know, wearing two or three different hats in that time. And I just don't see why Ferrari... I mean, it's something I expect Ferrari to do, but it's something I don't think that they should. So, But let us know your thoughts in the comments about that one. Should Bonotto be fired by Ferrari if Ferrari finished behind Mercedes in the constructors at the end of the season? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now let's move on to Alpine and McLaren. An interesting battle between the two teams, very much fighting for fourth in the championship. A battle you could argue that McLaren probably shouldn't be a part of, but they are. And it's uh, proven to be quite an interesting story going into the second half of the season. I think we're going to see a lot of this between these two teams, not to mention the added fire that has been created owing to the Piastri and Ricardo news and obviously all that going on. So with that in mind, guys, who are we expecting to come out on top this weekend and who is going to be the star? George, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Yeah, Drive to Survive is really starting to write itself at the moment. I can already <laughs> see the episode now. Uh, but yeah, no, honestly, uh, it's bizarre. Uh, but yeah, McLaren, um, I think, have, have made a dramatic recovery from where we saw them at the start of the season. I mean, that, that first race at Bahrain shook me, I have to be honest. I mean, seeing them where they were, they were so off the pace. It was unbelievable. But uh, to see them come back and, and scrap the way they have done, I think, is a testament to their team, a testament to their abilities as well. Um, I I firmly think that it's in the it's in the palms of Lando Norris. Uh, I think he is going to be the one to watch. I, I think over the next few races for sure. Um, he, again, big lover of Spa, uh, and I'm sure he'll he'll provide a shock. Uh, I think what they're doing, uh, I think, is great. Uh, they've got a great foundation there. They've certainly set themselves a great precedence for the future. And I, I just like I just like everything about what McLaren are doing at the moment. I think I think they're doing some super things. I, I think. I think as far as Alpine are concerned, I think the announcement with Fernando leaving, I think will hurt them. Um, I also think that um, it speaks volumes as to where the team's going. Um, there's been lots of question marks around Otmar Zafnauer over recent months. And I think there's a lot of, of background nonsense going on there that is certainly going to usurp the performance of that Alpine team. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. And obviously on the subject of Lando Norris, we shouldn't forget that this is a guy that's been very much under the radar 
this season, with the exception of the one podium that he got at uh, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix earlier this season in the main race. A great job he did there. So, I mean, it's great that you mentioned him because I feel like he is the trump card in all of this, Lando Norris. He's very much been carrying McLaren's momentum on his back. Ricardo has chipped in here and there, but Norris has definitely been the guy at the moment for them. So, with that all in mind, guys, I mean, how long do you think Lando Norris can be happy with his current position at McLaren, despite the long-term contract he agreed last season, before he starts feeling tempted to look elsewhere? Because bear in mind, uh, infrastructure has been an issue at McLaren compared to the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. That's obviously been addressed, and hopefully by 2024 they will have something. But should Norris be expected to wait that long, or should he be putting the feelers out in case there's an opportunity that might come up at one of those three teams in the next few years? I think it sort of depends on how you know, some of the drivers that are similar race to, to him get on. So if you see uh, Charles Leclerc, I'm oh, sorry, if you see Charles Leclerc uh, win a world championship and then you have the likes of, um, I look, I look, by the way, if you've seen on YouTube right now, I actually look like an unlockable character. So I apologise for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, paying, I'm not paying for the DLC on that one, yeah, mate. Yeah, you have to, uh... yeah. I've got um, your pit lane so, coins left. Ah, oh, there, there we go. There we go. That's EA for you. As soon as they release an F1 game, we now got to pay to unlock our panel. <laughs> I did pay my electricity bill, I promise. Uh, um, well, basically, basically, to you guys in the YouTube comments, would you unlock Courtney Pine? <laughs> to, oh, for the God, pod. Get told now. Thanks for, for that, Joel. Yeah, for the pod, yeah. <laughs> if Courtney's an unlockable character on the pod, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should stress that, you know. I was, was going to make a serious F one point then, um, but yeah, <laughs> I think if he sees if he's <laughs> if Lando starts to see drivers there who have been racing up against a lot in the junior categories, like um, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, for example, find themselves in championship winning cars, then it will be like a sense of not jealousy as such, but he'll be thinking, look, I know I can compete with these guys, and here they are winning world championships, and I'm not. So. I do feel if that was to happen, then the pressure would be building on McLaren. But there will come a point where, you know, Lando Norris will be sort of touted by one of the bigger teams. You know, there, there were talks of um, Red Bull signing um, Lando Norris before he even started um, driving from McLaren in F1. So I think if there's a big driver movement, like, so we say, like, when Lewis Hamilton retires and there's a uh, you know, movements from like one to so to say Max Verstappen leaves Red Bull and goes to Mercedes. Red Bull could well look at Lando Norris, for example. So I think the next couple seasons will be pivotal when it comes to the uh, McLaren Lando Norris dynamic. Yeah, it's quite I've interesting. To... Yeah, but no, sorry, George. Um, by all means, go for it. Yeah, well, I mean, I obviously I'm not sure whether it's been looked into immensely just yet, but there has been uh, a huge update, I think, due to. Uh, hit the decks. It might already have done. Um, concerning 2025, I believe. Obviously, with the with the new changes around the regulations. Uh, as far as I'm aware, Porsche are going to be stepping in potentially with a team as well. So, I mean, if that is the case, then is it that Lando is going to wait and and maybe join a manufactured back team because Porsche might be an option. Maybe even Mick Schumacher would go down that route in the future as well. Obviously, with the German connection. Um, you know, it's very possible. Um, it's again, that's another gateway uh, for for drivers in the sport. And you know, we could be facing the pro- the possibilities of a twenty two car grid in a in a couple of years time. Oh, that certainly would be nice. We do need more cars on the grid. Mm-hmm. 
I, I do feel like that's something that F1 really needs to address and sort out. Perhaps take that power away from the teams and just say, look, there's another team coming here. Here's $20 million to compensate you for your revenue loss and just deal with it. But uh, yeah, that, that we'll have to wait and see how that sort of plays out. But um, it feels to me that Lando really is the ace in the hole for McLaren right now. I, mean, look, I, I love Daniel Ricciardo, but right now he really needs to contribute more in this battle with Alpine because it does very much feel two against one at the moment. So let's move on to the rest of the midfield. We've got Alfa Romeo, Haas, Aston Martin, Alfa Tauri and Williams. I think I've included everybody in all of that. All of them, there's not really too much to separate any of them. I know Haas really on their day, they can be um, up there or completely nowhere. And of course, we expect them to fall back into the midfield because obviously their car, they've had their big upgrade. Mick Schumacher, mind you, hasn't driven the upgraded car yet. So we'll have to wait and see how he does with that. But obviously, there's not going to be upgrading compared to their rivals. Alfa Romeo, they've obviously been pretty good for a while, but they've started to fall back recently. Aston Martin, better car in the race than in qualifying, but they always seem to be on the fringes of the points. Williams, really depends on what Alex Albon can do at the moment, although you never know from Goatee if he might pull out a rabbit out of the hat again, like he did at Silverstone earlier this season. And then you've got Alfa Tauri, a team that right now, plenty of erratic driving, some strategy mistakes, and, and the car not really being that good right now. They haven't scored in their last five races, which was something I was really surprised to see. So, Five teams right now, for different reasons, really need to try and get involved and get some points on the board. Who are you guys predicting to have a strong weekend in the midfield? And who are you also predicting to have a struggling weekend? It's a bit of a pick and mix, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a bit, a bit of a crazy one. I mean, you pop into Woolworths, you probably wouldn't be able to get the right one. Um, but it's... it's Shana Rage you know, a bit there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, those of you that know, yeah, for those of you who don't know Woolworths, ask your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to love that place. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, it's, it's a strange one because all the teams t- tend to fluctuate. They tend to be... They tend to swap and uh, swap, swap ends, you know, Week week on week. I mean, there there is no consistency. But if I'm honest, if you look at it on paper, I would say that Alfa Romeo, I think, have uh, I would say certainly with their talisman, Valtteri Bottas in the team, I, I think he carries a lot of what they're doing. Guan Yu Zhou has been impressive, though. I mean, I don't want to write anything off as far as he's concerned because for me, he surprised me. Uh, greatly this season um, with with how he's performed at Alfa Romeo. Uh, maybe took him a little bit of time to get going uh, at the start of the season, but certainly, you know, kicked into gear, I think, and, and has delivered in, in certain races, um, though you, you cannot understate the, the advantage of having uh, a knowledgeable driver like Valtteri Bottas in your team. I think that has really helped Alfa Romeo uh, this season. If you look at where they were last season, I think they've made so many great leaps and bounds, uh, I think, in terms of how they're doing things at this moment. Alpha Tari, probably one of the, my biggest shocks. Uh, I think I would have expected more from the likes of Pierre Gasly. I think I've always held him in, in high esteem, uh, though I think, you know, it might not be 100% his issue because, as you so rightly say, Adam, there, there have been some strategy concerns there. Uh, I think Hass are where they are right now. But personally speaking, I would say Alfa Romeo uh, is certainly the team I'd be keeping my eyes on right now. Yeah, it's a funny one with Alfa Romeo because, again, you know, upgrades-wise, they're not going to be able to compete with some of their competition. So it's been really important and critical for their season that they started off with a very good car. And that's what they did. Reliability problems have been a real concern for them. I think they've had more reliability issues than any other team on the grid. And it's really cost them uh, this season. Engine. 
Well, yeah, you could argue <laughs> the Ferrari engine has been the problem. Um, I mean, right now they currently sit sixth overall in the constructors. So, you know, the teams behind them, 17 points have got to claw back. Now, I know, of course, you know, they can certainly do that, but that's going to be a lot harder for them to maintain that gap than uh, sort of increase it, if you like. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Quite interesting to see how that sort of plays out. Courtney, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. in this sort of midfield to rear battle? Who's going to look good this weekend and who is going to be off the pace? I think if you have a look at all the drivers in that gaggle of teams uh, throughout this season, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Juan Yuzhou. I think um, he is certainly surpassed expectations. I think Alex Albon has impressed me. He's had a couple of quiet races, but generally speaking, I, I, I think the Williams is probably the worst car this season and he's put in some great performances in that car. So, you know, could could... Alex Albon be the George Russell for Williams this season if you have wet conditions again. You wouldn't you wouldn't bet against him because I think his return to F1 has been fantastic for Alex Albon despite the poor car that he's had so far. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that one. I mean, I'm kind of hoping, I'm kind of hoping Haas have another good weekend. I, I'm going to be very interested to see how Mick Schumacher gets on with his upgraded car, if it's going to suit his style. Um, it's a circuit that could go well for us. We'll have to wait and see. Although saying that, it could go well for so many different teams. I mean, I'm almost kind of expecting the Aston Martins to pop into the points towards the latter stages of the race, and yet in qualifying, they'll probably be absolutely nowhere. So, plenty of stories. I do want to see a good weekend for AlvaTauri. Again, I was massively shocked to see that they hadn't scored in the last five races. They really need to do better. So, I hope for their sake that they do. Um, but then, if it was me judging on who I'd want to do well in this race, I'd be like Marge Simpson at the horse race at the horse track or something betting on everyone to have a good time so uh, <laughs> you know for anyone who watches the Simpsons um, let's uh, get into our final predictions guys now George of course you've been on this show long enough now to know that uh, we obviously obviously for those who aren't familiar we do our predictions where we give our top three and a bold prediction so as you are our guest this evening George I'm going to give you the honours and go first what's your top three going to be and can you give us a bold prediction it's going to be Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell on the podium, first, second, third. And I'm predicting that Valtteri Bottas will get in the top five. Oh, I like that. That's very bold indeed. And uh, Bottas has gone well in Spa, so it could be a good weekend for him. Courtney, you can go next. What's your second? Okay, three? I'm going to say Verstappen first, Lewis second, Leclerc third. Um, similar to your predictions, George, but instead of Valtteri Bottas, I'm going to say Lando Norris. I feel that McLaren are going to have a, second, um, a strong second half of the season. Yeah, I hope so too. I, you know, I always got a soft spot for McLaren. The nostalgia probably corrupts that a little bit, but it's a nice corruption if, if, if such a thing exists, I suppose. But uh, there you go. Um, my bold prediction is going to come into my top three, and the bold prediction is Lewis Hamilton wins the Belgian Grand Prix. And I don't care That's you guys. Pretty sound prediction. Yeah. <laughs> and, do, and do you know what? I don't care people come at me with the British bias on this one because I'm a Ferrari <laughs> fan, so I get an exemption on that one, guys. You get so, a buy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know the guy that's won the most Grand Prix of anyone. Tell you what, go, it's a good I'll, bet. It's a good bet. I'll tell you what, Adam. If, if Lando Norris joins Ferrari in the future, that's your podcasting career, like well, um, over, mate. Yeah. You probably yeah. have an opinion. You probably said that with such disdain as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> Courtney's hoping that this keeps going just for something that for us to do in the middle of the week, but I digress on that one. It's how, it's how life gets sometimes. But Mercedes fans, I want your love and support on this one. I'm going to back your boy Sir Lewis Hamilton. He's going to win. 
the Belgian Grand Prix. Secretly it doesn't hoping... happen very often, so embrace it. No, exactly. Secretly <laughs> hoping that Leclerc wins it and proves me wrong. But I digress on that one. But no, Sir Lewis to win the race. Uh, Max second, Charles Leclerc P3. So, uh, well, interesting predictions from all of us, but we'll have to wait and see if any of them come true. Uh, Lee's usually very good at these, but he's not with us this evening, so we'll have to move on from that one. But uh, I think that's all we got time for on this episode. It's been really fun, guys. We've been talking for over an hour now, and it's completely flown by. But George, obviously, I want to come to you with an opportunity to plug what you've been up to at the moment. Of course, you've been busy doing your commentary with GT Open Frecker and uh, obviously the Formula Euro Series as well. And not to mention, you're now doing Twitch streams on your channel quite recently, as well as a bit of DIY. But... I'm going to let you plug your Twitch stuff because uh, I want our lovely followers to go and check out what you've got in store for the second half of the season. So where can they find you? And more importantly, tell us about your Twitch streams, what you've been up to on there. Yeah, well, uh, Twitch has been something that I've I've really uh, jumped on, obviously, given the summer break. Uh, there's not really been a lot of call for, for commentators uh, during August. So obviously, uh, taking a little bit of time away. But it's a good opportunity for me to obviously explore other uh, things that I want to do. Uh, obviously, league racing commentary for me has come to an end as well, because uh, obviously we're in full swing as a professional commentator now. So there you go, and uh, which which is great. But yeah, recently got um, affiliated to Logitech, uh, which is um, quite uh, an awesome thing. So if you guys want to check that out, you're, you're more than welcome to. I mean, Logitech produce a lot of amazing equipment. And uh, obviously you can find me at George Morgan TV on Twitch, um, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok now as well. So uh, lots going on. Uh, you guys can check that out, doing gaming uh, live streams on the F122 game, F1 Manager as well, which is coming out soon. And we'll be doing lots of race watch-alongs as well in Formula One and various other series as well. Yeah, very exciting stuff indeed. I'm very much looking to that F1 Manager game. It's a shame that for right now, they don't have a sort of like a co-op kind of function where you can kind of compete online yeah. with your mates and do a series like that. I think that's a series that needs to happen. And George, if it does, I'm putting it out there now. You and I have to do a series like that together. We'll do it. We'll Definitely. do it. Definitely yeah. do that. I'm um, on board. I'm not picking Ferrari. I don't care what anyone says because I do not. <laughs> I do not want the pressure of managing that team. I want something a bit easier. You might be able to solve easier. the reliability problem. So yeah, 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 buy yeah, buy Is a Mercedes. Yeah, buy a Mercedes engine. That's, that's how you solve it. You buy a Mercedes engine. I don't care what rules that goes against. <laughs> You're a Ferrari, but you buy a Mercedes engine. I've oh saved God. them loads. Yeah, there you go. Can you imagine that. Mix things up a little bit. You want to win or you want to win. Pick one because you can't. You know. Anyway, look, I'm doing a disservice to Ferrari. I do apologise because they've built an incredible engine power wise but it just needs the reliability hopefully that comes soon enough um courtney anything else you want to add before we sign off yeah i'd like to say that um i've recently been appearing on twitch myself uh, my chick farm recently appeared on a final fantasy stream so we now have a, a chicken that is uh world famous so you're not the only one that's uh, been in the twitch streaming lately mate <laughs> yes yeah, so tell us a little bit more about your chicken. The chicken is probably more successful than me <laughs> the chicken has honestly there's actually been fan art of one of our chickens appearing on twitter i did see i was of... i think i gave it a like actually i was very impressed <laughs> <laughs> if you actually have a look on that one yeah, of our yeah. chickens yeah yeah it, it went viral adam it went viral so yeah, yeah that was a thing that happened I think the so, question yeah. I think the question that everyone is dying for me to ask here and there aren't many of them is was it liked by Pierre Gasly? Oh, I have to find out. I have to, I have to go through uh, Pierre Gasly's likes. 
Oh, guys. Who knows? Courtney, whatever you do, try and share it on the socials. I'll try and plug it as much as we can. We can get our followers to try and tag Pierre Gasly until he likes a picture of the chicken. And no, I'm not calling it the other thing because we like to keep this a PG show. Uh, we don't need that joke on it. Yeah. But look, guys. Leave a like for Courtney's chicken. There we go. Leave a, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we can get. Away, I think we can get away with the euphemisms on that one, um, guys. Of course, as always, if you have enjoyed this discussion, please do leave a like and consider subscribing to the channel if you're watching this on YouTube. We're not too far away from 800 subscribers. Of course, we're chasing a thousand by the end of the year, and we can't get there without your support. So we'd really appreciate if you could help us out on this one. And if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, in order to help us out, we'd really, really love it if you guys could leave us a review if you haven't already, preferably a positive one. But of course, if you're not happy with some of the stuff we do, please, please do let us know. And of course, be constructive and be kind. That's the only way that we're going to get better for you, lovely lot. And uh, until next time, all that's left to say, guys, is thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay safe. Stay safe. Got that right. And uh, thank you for tuning in to the DNF1F1 podcast. And remember... If you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. See you next time. See you soon. See you all. Sports Social Podcast Network.